Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah. You've been fascinated by this thing. This whole Larry Bird and Luca thing. You have just, you you written me about it. I, I read, read the article. Why are you so fascinated by these two? Well, because you obviously played with Larry, spent every day with him for six seasons, if my memory's right. So when someone like you says that Luca is a carbon copy of Larry Bird, that's obviously a more powerful statement than someone like me making it or you know, a fan or any, any outside observer for, for you to kind of feel that strongly about it made me want to write about it. Cause you know, the comparison game to me is always a little bit tricky, you know, like I, you know, I, every, I mean, to me, especially we're talking, these are, you know, Larry Bird is one of the, mm-hmm. the greatest players we've ever seen. Luca's only in year three. He's going to have to do this a lot longer before we talk about him the same way. But to me, these two guys are, they are, one of ones, one of a kind, even though there are obviously are similarities. But like, like I said, when I, when I hear someone like you, who's been in this game for more than 40 years, when you feel so strongly about it, that's what kind of made me want to get you on the phone and and dig into it with you. It's really funny because people ask me and, and I'll give you this. I said right now, I think that you asked me, so who would Larry Bird kind of, what would he be like in the NBA? And Luca would be him or he'd be Luca. And I said that because I think Larry Bird's game was, he would be, and this is kind of out there, but he would be a better player now, as great as he was. He'd be a better player now than he was in the old NBA because it was more about foot speed, trying to get to places. Now you can't hand check. So that's why I feel Larry would be so much better. And that's really kind of my, you know, when I think about this, because you you can say it as 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 loud as you want. There's always going to be people who say there's only one Larry Bird. I don't even want to hear this. And, and there's nothing we can say to convince them. Kind of to me, what is the fun? The fun what if? Which is again, it's a what if. We're never going to get the answer. But exactly what you just said. I I grew up. I became a fan of this game in the '70s and '80s. And to me, that is the most glorious period in NBA history. I romanticized it. I was a kid. And just that's when I fell in love with this league. And when you're 
a kid and just a fan and then you're a journalist, there, there are obviously differences. So the 70s and 80s to me are this untouchable, beautiful period when the NBA grew, you know, started growing to what it is now. But I love to play the what if game. What if Larry played today, <laughs> came up now, had the ball in his hands all the time and was more of a playmaker than a small forward in the most bru- one of the most bruising front courts ever, you know, when obviously he played with, with McHale and Parrish. I mean, it was just such a completely different time. The game was played completely differently. Larry might not have enjoyed it. I don't know if we had him here. Maybe he'd say he wouldn't want to play the, the way the game is now, but I would love to see where he's shooting 10 threes a game and making plays instead of playing, like you said, in the hand check era when you guys all beat the hell out of each other. I mean, it, it would be, it'd be fascinating. I'm kind of really want to know your take right now on looking from the outside, how you guys feel and what's going on in Celtic world, looking from the outside, because right now we, we, the pot is stirring up here because, and I want to know really what your opinion is. And rightfully so. I mean, you know, I live in Dallas and the Mavericks would have been considered the most disappointing team of the first half of the season, if not for Boston, that, that team is the Celtics right now. I mean, this team went to the conference finals last year. Tatum and Brown are as enviable a duo as you can have. They're exactly what you want in today's NBA long two-way player. They play both ends of the floor. They can play multiple positions. I mean, right there, that's a core that you would, that, that a lot of teams are jealous of, but you know, for reasons that you guys know better than me, because you watch this team every day, you know, no Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker's injury issues. There are a zillion holes on the bench. And now, you know, Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens are facing the kind of pressure that maybe they've never faced. I mean, I think people forget Danny, there were periods early in Danny, Danny's GM tenure where he did face a lot of pressure. And obviously you get it, you get Garnett and Ray Allen and win a championship and things change. And it was a long, long time ago, but, but really since, since the, since the pre Garnett days, this is probably the most heat Danny has faced. What news do you see that we're going to be looking at, you know, cause I like looking to a crystal ball and I know you're out there looking at all these different things. What do you see this coming towards the NBA or this year that is going to surprise us? So we're going to go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Well, look, everyone's obviously excited about the trade deadline, which I think we're basically a month out now uh, when we're, we're, we're chatting here. So a month away. But look, the biggest, the biggest trade move has already happened. There's going to be nothing on the scale of a hardened deal. Uh, the, the, the consistent messaging around Bradley Beal is that the Wizards are not going to trade him in season. And to this point, I think that still holds un- unless Bradley Beal goes to the Wizards and says, it's time. I want to move. I want to go somewhere else until that happens. I don't think the Wizards are going to trade him. And again, the signals one month out say that that's not going to happen before this trade deadline. And then probably the next most significant name is Kyle Lowry. And I think it's a very similar situation. Kyle Lowry is royalty in Toronto for what he 
contributed to that championship team unless he pushes it, unless he goes to the Raptors and says, I want to go somewhere else. My time is up here. Let's find me a new home until he pushes that. I don't think Toronto trades him. And, and to this point, that hasn't happened either. So look, no, all dead at trade deadline time, there's going to be moves. And there are rumblings that the Celtics are actively exploring all their options, but exactly what's that, what that's going to look like. I can't tell you today a month out, but I think Danny's been pretty clear here with his interviews in the last couple of weeks that he's looking uh, and I know Celtics fans are sick of hearing that. I know there's this this sentiment that, oh, we never, you know, we never make moves. I mean, I, I would question that a little bit. They did go all in on Kyrie Irving and that didn't work out. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's accurate to say they never, you know, they never push their chips into the middle of the table. But, uh, you know, they're they're looking, they're trying, they know they need changes because because this group is stagnating. Utah Jazz, that's the only word I'll say. Let me let you, I'll let you finish. What the hell is going on? I mean, I, I understand Utah's a good team, but this is ridiculous right now. No, I mean, you're right. And that's why I felt like they should have three all-stars because if you look at this season, it's parity everywhere. It's roster disruption disruptions. Obviously, teams are struggling to deal with, with COVID and we've had more than 30 game postponements. And the one sustained dominant force is the Utah Jazz. They're, they've married rampant three-point shooting with their great defense. I mean, they're, they're, they've always been a good ball movement team with Quinn Snyder, but now they're just shooting the three freely and they're making a lot of them. And I mean, they're, what is it, 26 and six as we speak and 22 of those wins by double digits. I mean, you know, but saying all that, they are one of those. They got to prove it to us in the playoffs, and I think they know it. And I think even I think even they would say it that they know they can dominate the regular season, and there's still going to be skepticism. They're going to have to show us in the playoffs. But they got they they have a really they have a great thing going. They came into the season with continuity, which is a huge advantage in this season full of disruptions. And you know they're doing as much as you can do. Can't do more than they've done to this point. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Now, BetOnline.ag isn't just about sports. If you don't want to bet on sports, BetOnline has other options, such as award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Now, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Head over to BetOnline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action now don't forget to use that promo code clns50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit betonline.ag head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts i see the lakers and i see brooklyn everybody's saying those are going to be the final two teams could that possibly be right now? Or do you think that, you know, Utah is still in the mix? Look, I, I think Utah has to be taken seriously. But with the Lakers, if Anthony Davis comes back, they resume their role as favorites, even with the questions about their supporting cast. But look, they've also been without Schroeder here too. And he's a huge part 
of what the Lakers went into this season thinking because they had this, you know, the Lakers in Miami had a 72 day off season, less yeah. than eight, less than eight weeks off after the bubble. They made the trade for Schroeder for energy, for scoring to help get them through the regular season as much as they would need him in the playoffs because you can't just ask LeBron to carry this crazy load at age 36. So in this, you know, this slump that they've hit, it's not just that they've been without Anthony Davis, but if Anthony Davis comes back, the Lakers are the favorites in the West. You got to beat them four times. You know, it's, it's as great as Utah looks. I don't know that anyone would bet on them to beat a full strength Laker team four times in Brooklyn. I was a huge skeptic of the trade. I didn't like it. I didn't think those three guys could function together. Like all skeptics of this trade, I'm getting pretty nervous because they look great. And really the three of them haven't even played together yet. There's always somebody out. I still think the defensive issues are a concern and the depth issues are a concern, but looking at this Eastern conference, who's going to beat them. This East is winnable the way they are. Milwaukee is not what they were. The Celtics clearly are not what they were. Toronto remains a dangerous out, but they're not nearly as, as potent as they were. You look, the West, the East is a mess. So no, the only one I say, and maybe I'll kind of disagree would be Philadelphia with Doc Rivers seems to have Joel Embiid and Simmons on the same page right now. They are no question. They are the number one threat to Brooklyn, but by no means dominant, you know, they're still active. You with Daryl Moore, you still expect them to try to make at least one move in the next month. Um, and Bede and Simmons are both playing fantastic. Maybe the best that they've ever played. You know, Simmons is a two way absolute menace and Embiid, this is his best season so far, but they're, they're also like Utah. They can look fantastic now. Are you, are we going to, you know, they have to prove it to us in the playoffs and they can say that's unfair, but that's the way the NBA works. What did you read with the whole Draymond Green comments about owners and players not be not treated on the same page how did you feel about all his comments I think a lot of what he said has merit um and basically look he brought Harden into it and I think maybe that diluted the argument somewhat because what <laughs> the way I mean you know you tell me if 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 Harden was in your locker room in your day and did all the stuff he did to get himself traded out of Houston, I think his teammates would have had a lot to say to him before even those of us in the media commented yeah. about it. So the way Harden comported himself to get traded, I don't think is defensible in any single way. But I, you know, a lot of what Draymond says is true. And I think basically the, the real message that he, he was trying to get ac- across, and you know, I'm not sure that it, it, it came through for anyone, players get crushed when they want out teams do not get crushed when they want to move a guy. And that is, that's a huge disparity. And, and, you know, he, he put a pretty loud megaphone on it. Kyrie Urban says something the other day, which part of it, I agreed. And then part of it, I was kind of, he was talking about changing the logo of the NBA to Kobe Bryant instead of Jerry West. I felt that. 
and it was really good with that. But then he went into the whole thing about, uh, you know, blackness, and and, and I, I I was just I was good with the first part he used, and and the last argument I, I didn't really feel that. Way. You know, I haven't seen his whole statement, so I don't know exactly what I just know the basics that he he proposed that the logo should be changed. You know, that's it's an interesting topic, and I'm sure a lot of people would probably be open to it because, you know, in the modern, you know, the modern fans probably don't even know how the NBA logo originated. So <laughs> I, I'm not smart enough to know the business complexities of that. I mean, look, in general, I'm kind of resistant to change and that's one of my faults and I'm, I'm an old school guy. And so like, I, you know, it's hard for me on a lot of levels to imagine the logo changing, but that's not, you know, that's never, you know, it's funny living in Dallas, Mark Cuban says this all the time. I mean, you know, the way we've always done it, that is a terrible, that's a terrible justification for anything. So look, if a lot of people feel strongly that the logo should be changed, I mean, that there should be an open discussion about it. Maybe it's something the league should entertain. I, I have to admit, I haven't given it a huge amount of thought, but look, Kobe among players today, among this generation of players, I mean, he is their, he's their Jordan. And so the love for him is that deep. Mark Cuban, you, you bring that up and, and, I, and I'm glad you did. Did you realize that the national anthem hadn't been played during the times that these games were being played? Did you realize that or, this or not? Is, this is terrible. And I feel just like an idiot, honestly, uh, stupid. I only went to three Mavericks games this season, so it wasn't going every time. Um, and I think in, you know, it's not a great defense, but somewhat in the defense of, of, of media members like myself who missed it because fans weren't in the building. I think just the whole feel of how a game was and we're sitting way up there. So it just, the whole thing felt different. And I, and, but still we, we you know, Lots of us should have noticed, and and it says a lot that it went 12, 13. It wasn't until the first game with fans that that this became something that 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 people were talking about. So uh, yeah, that was definitely yeah. I I I don't feel I don't feel great about it um, being being so off my game. Yeah, I know in the in a, a red state like Texas, I'm like. How do you even get away with with that? I mean, it's like nobody because you know nobody's in there. Nobody and, and and as media, you know, typically we'd be downstairs, and you know, so we're we're up. You know, I think that's the reason why. Again, it's it's still it it should have been talked about and noticed and reported a lot sooner. But then on the flip side, it is amazing how the minute it it becomes a public issue that then the league changes the rule. The league knew the whole time that the Mavericks weren't playing the anthem. So wow. it, it's, 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 you know, yeah, this was not a surprise to the NBA. They, they knew it. So it's just interesting that the minute this becomes a headline, okay, now the, the anthem is mandatory again. So you're, you're saying, I guess, public perception pushes policy in the NBA and every place else because I mean, in, in you're this saying case, that. In this, in this case, no that, question. I'm almost, 
I'm most concerned how they started the game because we just throw the ball up. All right, let's jump ball and let's go. I, I, I they went. Just, they basically. I, they basically oh. went. They went right to intros. You know, during a typical game, you know, you see guys do their warmups yeah. and then they all put their sweats back on because they know they got to line up to, for the anthem. So for the for the Dallas home games, these guys were just uh, you know basically going straight from warmups to the intros. I just want to take a second and talk about Marigold. Uh, with their stem cell uh, research, has been amazing. I went and did an evaluation, and I ended up getting a, uh, a shot. And uh, I'm hoping right now I'm going to be back on the court. These guys were brilliant. They communicate well. They give you an education on what it's like. And that is what really, to me, won me over because not only were they going to give me an operation, a procedure, but they were going to educate me about this procedure. And in learning and, and, and being comfortable, that is how you get well and that's how you become partners. And uh, my big shout out to those guys. They did a fantastic job. Check them out at marigolmedical.com. That's the place to be. I got a question I normally ask everybody, and you're probably as good as anybody. I'm building the Mount Rushmore in the back of your house. You got four people on the sports Mount Rushmore. Who are you putting back there? Basketball only, right? Not yeah, no, no. All sports. All sports? Whatever you want. Whoever, oh, this man. Is your house. I'm telling the crew, hey, Stein wants four <laughs> people back there. Who are the four people? You, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Who are the four people in your backyard? Four people across all sports. That is not easy at all. Um, I think Muhammad Ali has to be there. Okay. Uh, for me, there has to be a soccer player there. And look, one of the great things about soccer is they have just as much trouble with their GOAT debate as we do. Uh, you know, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Russell, Mag- you know, I'm a child of the 80s, so you know, Magic and Bird are not going to win the GOAT argument, but they're at least in the conversation for me. I don't, I, I, I mean, I don't know how you pick one. And in soccer, it's the same, Pelé and Maradona. It's, you know, we could do hours debating that. One of those two would have to be on there. So, Stein's I mean, not ready yet. He's not ready to make a decision. You, oh, so, so, so you have four. You have, have four, four. At, the, at your fingertip. I have four that I took. I took um, Muhammad Ali. Like you, I took Michael Jordan. I took the guy who just got hurt, Tiger Woods. And I got the greatest female athlete of all time, Serena Williams. Those are my four. Tennis is also one of my favorite sports. So I would, you know, I'm with you there. But see, I think it also just depends on your perspective. I'm not a golf guy at all. and And look, first of all, what just happened to Tiger Woods is horrific. And I think everyone in sports is praying for his full recovery, but just speaking from my mentality only, like I didn't even think of golf because that's, that's not one of my games. We haven't mentioned the NFL. I mean, in the, in the United States, how are we going to exclude one NFL guy? So if you can come up with four people for sports, you are. Uh... Well, you, you took, you took one when you said Tiger Woods. You, I mean, you took one when you said Muhammad Ali. And yeah, so, because- so, 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 so for me, and I, I look, I realize I'm hedging here in the extreme, but like Muhammad Ali, okay, Pelé or Maradona in soccer, your NBA, let's say Jordan, if, if Jordan's your goat, 
that leaves only one spot for tennis for me because te- my th- my three favorite sports are the NBA, soccer, and tennis. So I'll I'll co-sign Serena with you. But we don't have a baseball player. We don't have a, we don't have anyone from the NFL. We don't have anyone from track and field and on and on. I mean, so it's like four, man. I'm sorry. I I, I know that this <laughs> man, is. I'm sorry. That's what they did at Mount Rushmore. They had four presidents, and they stopped right there. They didn't say we're going to yeah, put them. But, but how many? How, when they, I don't even know what year they made Mount Rushmore. They were probably only, they were probably only choosing from twenty people at that point. Your read now on everything you mentioned this Tiger Woods. What just went on there? Obviously, a, a tragedy. Uh, so many things about him. Just I, I don't even know where to start. But your take on it. Just, just hope he recovers. I mean, that like, like it's to me, it's way too soon to even Kenny golf again and all this. Yeah. Like, I mean, man, just let's just hope he makes a full recovery. And uh, you know, you, you you didn't have to be a you don't you don't have to be a golf fan to have seen the beauty of him with his son when you know that was a month ago and they were on the course together and like. I mean, this, this guy has kids. He's a father. Just, just, just get better and be with to be able to be with your family, and then every every everything else can be worried about and debated later. I, I think that's the big thing when I look at a guy like Tiger Woods. Everybody talks about his career and what he's done. Then he falls off the shelf, and then he comes back, and now he's got he, he's hurt in an accident that he says he doesn't even know what happened. I used to live up in those hills in Palos Verdes when I played with the Clippers and I know some of those ravines. So they're just saying if they were, he's lucky to be alive and to have shattered a, you know, an ankle. And, and I know obviously you don't want to get into it, but it almost seems now that when they said they're putting a pin in his leg and having to do his, you know, his ankle over again, it just seems like this is the end from a, a sports standpoint of him being competitive as a golfer. You know, it's interesting though when you were talking about the Mount Rushmore part and I and and what, you know, beyond what a great golfer he was. And I'm I'm actually, you know, he's he's from the Orange County area and that's that's largely where where I grew up mm-hmm. um, after after leaving Buffalo. So I mean, t- I've I've been hearing about Ti- even though I'm not I've never covered golf and it's not my game. I've been hearing about Tiger since since he was a kid. I mean, he was a phenom from as long as I remember, but you know, when you mention a Jordan, a Muhammad Ali, a Serena, and then Tiger Woods as well. I mean, it's, it's not just the athletic excellence. It's the cultural impact that someone like that has so far beyond just their playing ability. And that, that for, 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 for those four athletes, I mean, that's. And that is kind of why I took Tiger that he opened up golf to the masses and he made it a real cool thing for people of color to want to try to get into and everybody starts seeing the game a little bit different than uh, than ever was uh lastly i want to ask you about to me which was one of the most emotional unbelievable times in my life and that was being at kobe bryant's home going and just seeing the people who were there it was like nba royalty life royalty it was i couldn't and i remember saying to somebody i said because they were giving me a seat. They gave the team a seat. And then they had individual seats and I said, well, we'll give you a seat, Max. We'll get you in there. And I'm like, oh, man, where am I going to be sitting in the nose, please? I'm sitting right beside Bill Russell. 
Jordan is about three seats away from me. Steph is on one side. Kyrie's on another side. But that event, I don't even call it an event, but, but, but that scene alone was something that is so surreal to me. I, I just wanted to know what you thought about it, because I'm sure in some ways you had to cover that. Yeah, no, look, I, I was a Laker beat writer when Kobe came to the NBA, and I was early in my career. Kobe's the first player I ever covered that I was 10 years older than. I was 27. He was, <laughs> he was, he was 17 when the Lakers drafted him. wasn't even 18 yet. And, uh, you know, I got to, I, I only traveled with him for a year before I moved to Dallas, but uh, he, just because I was there with him at the beginning, he always made time for me in subsequent years. Every time he came to Dallas, we, we at least got a couple minutes. He always gave me a couple minutes to just me and him catch up. And he knew I would have whatever questions I had to fire. him. so look, I, I covered his whole career and I mean, surreal as a word doesn't even doesn't even come close to you know more than a year later still just it's it still can't believe it we we just you know january you know we just did the the one year kind of remembrance pieces after january and and you know the the um the remembrance service you're talking about that that was about a year ago from where we are now and it just it it still just doesn't doesn't make sense it doesn't seem possible it doesn't seem it doesn't seem believable and i still struggle to process it and and even explain it um i i i'm just like you in that and the fact that it was so hard to process and the fact that it's just almost poetic when you think that the celtics played a game before the home going the next day celtics played on a sunday with Tatum going crazy in the building. And I was thinking, man, 24 hours from now, we're going to be sitting back in this arena and there's going to be so many sad faces and so many fans. And it it was, you know, from Jay-Z to Beyonce to, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever. And it just, it, it, it just defied anything that I've ever been around. I've, I've never been, I've never been in such awe before in my life. And, the appreciation, that's what it told me, the appreciation that they had for Kobe Bryant. That's what really resonated. You know, when Jordan got up to speak and tears in his eyes and talks about the emoji and, you know, and, and Jack getting up there telling his story, it, it was uh, it was something I, I don't think I'll ever forget. Well, because he was another guy that just, he, his, his, he went so far beyond sports. It was not, you know, Kobe Bryant was so big that it was, it was more than basketball. And he, you know, he, he obviously meant a lot to a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, he was, he was there for 20 years. I mean, there's been a a zillion great Lakers, but I mean, he was, I think he was the quintessential Laker um, as great as their teams were in the eighties. And obviously magic cream worthy and all the guys you played against, I mean, they, they they all obviously have their own huge slice in that franchise's history, but Los Angeles saw Kobe grow up. I mean, it's it, the relationship between player and city. It's just, it, it's a bond that that is really unmatched. 
Lastly, do, do you know I still have hatred for some of those guys I played against with the Lakers? <laughs> yes, I, I, I still, yeah, I mean, I am not still, I respect Magic. I love him to death for what he's done. James Worthy, Cooper, Kareem, all, all those guys. But I still have a dislike and the disdain when I when I hear their voices. <laughs> I get irritated. I, my heart rate goes up. And you you talked about the 80s and just that was, I remember playing in that game in 1984 in Boston, probably one of the biggest games ever. And just seeing the Lakers and the Celtics playing for a championship for the seventh game. I, I it, and, and me thinking about me being on the court at that time and playing really well, I, it, it, I still can't hardly grasp that now. So what happens, obviously in a pandemic, nobody's running into anybody, but, but before the last year. So what happens when you, you run into magic somewhere, you run into, I mean, you know, at an NBA event, you cross paths with your old rivals. What is that? What is that like? I didn't, I, I, I did actually, uh, it was just before Kobe Bryant's the, the day before the game, uh, the day of the game, they had myself, Brian Scalabrini, uh, Cooper, and uh, I think Worthy. We were all in a building t- together, and we we're all in there talking, and and we were in front uh, in front of a crowd. And um, who sticks his head in? Magic. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you guys were having a meeting. I just wanted to come that. And then walks in and proceeds to come up and take the microphone and walks up to me and says, puts his hand out. And I go, I'm not shaking your damn hand. He goes, come on, man, you got to show me love. I'm like, no, I'm not showing you love. So, yeah, I, that that's still kind of how I feel today. I mean, I, I respect them. They made the Celtics greater. They made all of us greater. They made the NBA greater. We made the NBA greater. But it's still just uh it just irritates me. James Worthy, even today, when he says he'll go right now when the Celtics and the Lakers play, he said, yeah, we had to get some more of that Celtic ass today. I'm <laughs> damn, it's just so disrespectful even today. So it just pisses me off. Well, I, I think fans probably enjoy hearing that, though. I, I don't I think they like that the rivalry is still that intense. They don't want you guys to be friends. <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you very much for coming on with me. It's a blast. I, I've had a ball with you. And, uh, uh, you know, we're still waiting on your Mount Rushmore because I, I think you fluffed on it a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> because you're such a great, great dude, I'm going to let you go with it. And uh, thank you very much for being on with me.